Ari Rosenbaum here with another fun-filled episode of the F1K Podcast. This week's topic, we're going to talk about how a plan sponsor can detect if their plan provider is breaking bad. Uh, an homage to one of my favorite shows of all time, Breaking Bad, uh, and the issues involved when a plan provider does break bad. And unfortunately, I've seen it from time to time, and it's a, it's a travesty, but it does happen. Uh, but of course, first things first, that for 1K... Uh, Site.com, great uh, opportunity to uh, check out our live events that are coming up, hopefully. April the 8th, Phoenix, Arizona. May, uh, I'm sorry, June 24th, Miami, Florida. October 14th, I believe, in Charlotte. Hopefully, we'll get some more dates available. We'll see, you know, this pandemic. And my running joke in Las Vegas was every single time I plan an event, there's a new variant. So we'll see what happens. Uh, Booking a guest soon for Phoenix. Uh, as well as Miami, um, and so we'll get back and you know certainly update you on that. Uh, Hundred bucks to attend game tickets. Uh, we will move the dates if the lockout continues. Um, I thought we'd get some sort of agreement by now, but you know baseball being baseball and owners and players not getting along. It's the first time since '94 that we're really um, on the brink of something terribly gone wrong uh, when it comes to uh, collective bargaining. So we'll see what happens. And of course, let's go, you know, go to that 41ksite.com for information. Uh, I don't know if you hear it. There's some banging. Next door neighbor here is finally implementing a new kitchen. Uh, they've been here, living here 13, 14 years. Uh, I will say that uh, when I moved in, um, into my house 18 years, uh, 16 years ago, uh, 16 and a half years ago, um, one of the first things I did was redo the kitchen. Um, it's very nice that they're. Uh, doing that finally um but uh you know you're getting some banging here in the afternoon uh actually early late morning as as we talk uh beats the uh you know 10 30 p.m pulling out of the garbage cans but whatever it is what it is but uh breaking bad uh it's one of my favorite shows of all time it's very interesting i uh i have a friend named doug um to name drop, uh, name drop, he's Doug Goodstein. Doug Goodstein used to work on the Howard Stern Show. A uh, good friend of mine. Um, really helped me a lot out after uh, Hurricane Sandy. And uh, uh, one day he was here at my house, and I had Netflix, I had Apple TV, you know, years before anybody else did. Um and so he was here at the house, and he's like, oh, well, let's, you know, I hear this great stuff about Breaking Bad. And this is after the, months after the, the show had, had, had ended. The funny thing about Doug is I call him Typhoid Doug. Because, you know, the story of Typhoid Mary, the waitress who supposedly gave everybody typhoid but didn't have it herself. Typhoid Doug is the type of guy who gets involved, talks to people about uh, something that's very, very uh, intoxicating or... or you know, just addictive, something addictive. So uh, he got my wife on Candy Crush. He got me on Breaking Bad. I don't know if he's ever watched uh, another episode, but I started watching it and I got hooked. And needless to say, over a few weeks, I was able to watch all the seasons. And the thing about Breaking Bad, which I always liked, was, you know, it, it reminds me so much of The Godfather with Michael Corleone. Michael Corleone in the first Godfather was this nice little, you know, college boy who didn't want to get involved in family business. At the end of the first movie, he's now a mafia don who whacked his brother-in-law. Walter White is the same thing. He's, you know, a dead on, you know, unlucky chemistry teacher with cancer and 
all of a sudden, by the end of the series, he is a heartless drug lord. Um, and it's fascinating. And um, one of my favorite scenes in the, mo in the movie, in the show, was the last episode where uh, Walter confronts his wife. And he says, you know, uh, Skylar, of all the things I've done, you know, and I just wanted to let you know. And she's like, I don't want to hear it how you did it for the family. And he said, I didn't, you know, I did it for myself. You know, he was good at it. And you gave him life. And it kind of reminds me of something in my life um, where I felt like, you know, uh, I did things uh, that did benefit me, but I think I did it to make people proud. And then I realized that it was just really a waste, uh, that I really did it for myself. Um, I think starting my own practice. Uh, I think it's, uh, you know, I think it's a parent's dream that your children become a doctor or a lawyer. And uh, I'd done that. And uh, unfortunately in life, you realize that wasn't enough. And, uh, you know, uh, I realized that in my own practice and, and starting my own practice and, and, and doing these events and meeting people and traveling and whatnot, I realized that I did it for myself. But it's fascinating. It's a fascinating show. And uh, here I went on five minutes uh, about uh, Breaking Bad. First part of it about plant providers breaking bad, um, why plant sponsors should care if their plant providers break bad? Well, you know, Walter White, again, he went into the drug business. Um, he did it because initially he wanted to provide for his family because he, he, he thought he was going to die from lung cancer. When it comes to hiring a retirement plant provider that breaks bad, it's really the plant sponsor that is unfortunately going to hold the bag as a, you know, the responsibility. Um, plan fiduciaries, plan sponsors, trustees, they pay a high price for, you know, hiring bad providers. Plan fiduciary has to exercise their duties prudently and hiring a, a plan provider that does break bad isn't really exercising it diligently and prudently. Uh, simply blaming a plan provider that's breaking bad isn't going to, um, cut it for the plan sponsors, plan fiduciaries. Um, you know, I, I know several clients that they're, you know, uh, that were managed by Bernie Madoff. I know people who had a TPA that, you know, died and realized that the TPA didn't do any of the work. Uh, we know about Vantage Benefits that stole millions upon millions of, uh, assets from, from clients as a TPA slash 316 administrator. So another way to... One way to to find out if a you know plan provider is breaking bad is is really missing reports, disclosures, and other paperwork. Um, I told the story a thousand times, and I'll say it a thousand and one times. I had a client defined benefit plan. Um, company went out of business. Um, the actuary conveniently died during the uh, stages of the audit. And uh, I think that, you know, that was his, his best uh, career move, in my opinion. Uh, you hate to say that, but uh, there was a whole host of uh, other plans, uh, unfortunately, in the same situation. But anyway, it was a defined benefit plan, failing company. There were no reports, no valuation reports ever provided to the clients. Say, you know what, uh, this is your benefit, this is that your benefit. So what happened was we had a perfect storm. Two uh, employees, husband and wife, Complained to the Department of Labor. They were not covered in the plan document by name, which is a big no-no uh, 
these days. You can't do that. It's not a reasonable classification. And uh, there was no proof of any agreement to, to, to exclude them. And the problem was actuary, again, no valuation, no statements. So we didn't know who had the benefits in the plan. And the actuary actually told the owner of the company that since the benefit was predominantly you know, her and her husband's, that it was no problem for them to write a check from the defined benefit plan's trust to another company that they owned that was failing. So the Department of Labor, with absolutely no proof uh, that people were entitled to a benefit, uh, assume the worst, which, you know, is with, you know, protecting participants' rights, that's within their purview. And needless to say, the plan sponsor was sued for three million bucks, I want to say. And uh, unfortunately, um, you know, I, I told the um, plan sponsor to settle. Um, they had, uh, unfortunately, a counsel that was not a RISA counsel that told them to fight it. Needless to say, after two or three years, I, I, I later learned a few years later that they settled with the Department of Labor for the same amount the Department of Labor was seeking in the initial lawsuit. So needless to say, the only people that made out were her litigators. Um, you know, listen, uh, a plan provider that doesn't provide you with the required reports, whether it's a valuation report or a fiduciary report, um, you know, that's a sign. Uh, not receiving the fee disclosures uh, from the plan providers um, you know, uh, situations where there's no fee disclosures, that could be a prohibited transaction. Um, it's really important that the plan sponsor not neglect any issues when it comes to missing reports and disclosures. Um, the problem, of course, is that most plan sponsors are, you know, really unaware of what their duties, you know, where their duties end and when the duties of their plan providers start. So the article may, you know, you know, this discussion may give you a uh, heads up on, on what plan sponsors really, really need in terms of uh, uh, information. While there, uh, you know, there, there, while there could always be a notice that uh, one of the plan providers forget, uh, it's important that the plan sponsor get essential plan documents, valuation reports, quarterly reports, complete 5500 filing, fee disclosure notices, amendments, whatnot. Getting, obviously, the right uh, documents, reports, and notices are certainly going to give the plan sponsor enough confidence that the retirement plan providers that they are, are using are, are, are still, you know, not ripping them off, which is a big to-do in the retirement plan business. Um, next is have required pro providers, uh, you know, having the required providers and making sure that there's a system of checks and balances uh, in place among providers. Um, one of the reasons that Bernie Madoff, and uh, I had a client that put in three million bucks of their DB money with Bernie Madoff. One of the reasons that Bernie Madoff lasted so long as a Ponzi scheme was not only was he the advisor on his fund, he was also the custodian on every investment. So it was quite easy for him to fudge uh, shares in this investment. You know, had he used Schwab, TD Ameritrade, or Fidelity, or any other respectable custodian, uh, obviously, uh, it, you know, the, the Ponzi scheme wouldn't have lasted. So, First thing for plan sponsors, make sure that the plan assets are a custodian with a name that they should know. Um, you know, uh, I think it's, I, 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 I'm just, you know, I, I'm just amazed by thieves and embezzlers in the time plan business. Uh, I always think that you get a better, you have a better shot at knocking off a bank with a pantyhose on your head. 
but the fact is, is that thieves and embezzlers in this retirement plan space only flourish when there is absolutely no oversight and there's no eye in the sky looking what plan providers are doing. Um, again, when I've seen plan providers break bad, usually it's a lack of oversight by the plan sponsor and the other plan providers. You know, um, when you had that actuary uh, rip off my client for 25 years, there was no financial advisor that had any risk of sophistication to ask for the valuation reports, to ask for, you know, something to help the clients. Um, I, I think it's important that retirement plan sponsors have the right team of plan providers, uh, people who have the sophistication to do their job. I, I know quite a few financial advisors that, you know, could smell it when other providers are, are not doing their job. And I think that, you know, if obviously planned sponsors have an ERISA attorney where, you know, this is a point where I have to call for an independent retirement plan consultant, that goes a long way to keeping a system of checks and balances. And, you know, I will still have that slight bias. Uh, you know, having a producing TPA only makes it easier for there to to be a theft of, uh, well, to, to, for things to go bad, for, you know, in terms of uh, revenue sharing funds and whatnot. So I think that I've always recommended having a TPA that's separate from the advisor. Uh, obviously, revenue uh, producing TPAs uh, operate in a different environment when I first started, which was a pre-fee disclosure world where they would get money directly from the fund companies and not disclose it to the plant sponsor. Um so, you know, I, I would say, as, as, uh, as Walter White told his brother-in-law, Hank, the agent, when it comes to using producing TPA, the best course would be to tread lightly. Um, you know, again, I've, I've had issues with producing TPAs in the past. Uh, you know, I don't think that they're all crooked. I don't think most of them are crooked. But I just, I'm never happy or satisfied when a plant provider is wearing two hats. So, you know, if you have an ERISA attorney, there's also doing advisor work, I would say the same thing. I would have the same issues uh, as I would with a producing TPA. Um, you know, I, I think that uh, having people wear one hat, again, creates a system of checks and balances that would, you know, keep a plan sponsor way out of trouble. Next, uh, I always joke about it. I think I recently talked about it. Uh, a, you know, a change in leadership, a change in leadership or staff at the at the plant providers. I I work with a three thirty eight fiduciary. Uh, worked with them on some plans, and they told me they got bought out. And I said, I'm sorry to hear that. I think that one of the worst things to happen to a lot of businesses, especially in the retirement plan space, is that they get bought out. Um, I work with two TPAs. Both were purchased. The last one was purchased by an advisory company. Um, they wanted to go public within three years, um, and of course it took 12 years. So let's just say, uh, glad I didn't uh, stay on to uh, make sure they go public. Um, I once remarked to an employee at the time, of course overheard in the lunchroom. It was a very innocuous statement, but of course I got yelled at. Uh, I said that you know the problem is whenever another company buys you know another company, there's inevitably invariably there's going to be change and of course there was a rat uh not an actual rat but a person who just tattletales to their superiors her name was norma uh she went to my boss and said you know are you saying that there's going to be change in the, in the company and my boss came up to me and said that i was destroying morale and i said no i'm just telling you what basic uh what basic business um 
you know, when there's a change of, of, of leadership or personality type of business, you know, change is going to happen. Uh, again, people get bought out. It happens. Um, years ago, uh, there was a local TPA that was sold off to a record-keeping software developer who decided to get into the TPA business, and I thought that that was a really awful mistake. Uh, but they, they did end up being the official TPA of the San Francisco 49ers because you can see the ad at Candlestick Park. Um, and, and what happened was they ended up uh, you know, taking this very good TPA and just running a lot of good people out. Um, so that software company that went into the TPA business, uh, they ended up selling that TPA back um, to the TPA owner for pennies on the dollar. And needless to say, that was the end of that. Um, employee and business turnover happens all the time, retirement plan business. Uh, I am happy the times when companies are bought out and they're not gutted. Um, uh, it, it happens quite a bit, but I'm happy when I'm wrong and, and it doesn't happen. So, uh, you know, employee business turnover in the retirement plan space happens all the time. It doesn't mean that it's a bad thing, but it's something that certainly plan sponsors need to focus on because it, it could be bad. Next, uh, I think it's important for plan sponsors to have the right level of insurance bond coverage or fiduciary liability insurance. Um, you know, plan sponsors can control their own behavior. They can't control the behaviors of others. Um, I used to be a worry wart, um, but then I made some changes in my life and uh, got rid of, uh, pushed out a lot of the people that made me worry all the time. And I realized over time, you can only worry about what you can control. You can't worry about what you can't control. So... Um, you can't, you know, a plan sponsor can't stop a, a plan provider for breaking bad. Um, since a plan sponsor is responsible for their own actions, um, I think it's best to make sure that the risk involved with being a plan sponsor is fully insured. Uh, I think it's important that the plan has the correct level of insurance bond coverage, uh, especially, you know, make sure that uh, the bond coverage uh, works hand in hand with the number of assets. Um, Plans grow in size, and unfortunately, plan sponsors don't increase their coverage. Same thing uh, on fiduciary liability shirts. It's not, you know, it's not required like an ERISA bond, but you have employees, you're covering the ERISA. I think plan sponsors really should purchase um, fiduciary liability coverage. Uh, litigation is expensive. Uh, litigation is expensive, even if you win a case. And I think that the plan sponsor would certainly be wise to purchase it. It's not a lot of money. It's not like, uh, you know, whole life in a uh, defined benefit plan. Last but not least, while the plan sponsors should make sure that they're fully insured, they need to make sure that their plan providers are properly insured as well. It's not enough uh, that plan sponsors identify that they have proper insurance. I think it's important that their plan providers are properly insured as well. Um you just even when the plan sponsor doesn't think that their plan provider is going to steal from them, it's always uh, very easy when you know that you know the plan providers have you know insurance. So when things do go bad or a mistake is made, that uh, U.S. plan sponsor may be covered from their mistakes. Um, there's nothing worse than finding out again when a bad provider doesn't have insurance because if you had to sue them, plan sponsor had to sue them. Um, you know, there's, there may be nothing backing them up and the, uh, provider just could file for bankruptcy and in bankruptcy, if you're unsecured creditor, you get pennies on the dollar, whether it's a chapter 11 or a chapter seven, 
Um, so I think it's really important for plan sponsors to make sure that their plan providers uh, are properly insured. Uh, that's this short topic for this week. Um, hope you uh, come back next week. Uh, that foreignkside.com for further information on all our live events. Phoenix, Miami, Charlotte on tap. And we'll get you a date pretty soon for that 4K National Virtual Conference for 2023, uh, the year we make contact. Uh, take care. Bye.